1980s, a long time ago, but actually a great time, my childhood. Walkman, mixtapes, snail mail, handwritten notes, Rubik's Cube, that one kid in the school that could solve it super fast, making the rest of us feel dumb. <laughs> Some kids even apparently resorted to a hammer and a well-placed chip so you could reassemble it and place it solved on your bookshelf. <laughs> and staying home sick wasn't so bad because you had Bob Ross to teach you the joy of painting. And computer paper was weird, perforated on the sides, and it didn't make much sense. But then there came a revolution. Donkey Kong. Welcome to Hypno Running, the show where we do more than just talk about running. We help you find solutions to develop your full potential making you a better, faster, and smarter runner. And here is your host, Heiko. Yes, exactly. Helping you to become a better, a stronger, and a smarter runner. But why on earth would we be talking about Donkey Kong? To those of you that don't know Donkey Kong, it's a game that takes place over two screens. Mario, a small figure, starts at the bottom left of the bottom screen. The player must move right and dodge Donkey Kong's barrels, which he throws from on top of a like construction site, and they roll down. And Mario, he can jump if you press the jump button. He jumps over the barrel only if there's no girder above his head. You learn this pretty quickly as you move forward, because Mario wants to get up. He wants to save someone, a very attractive lady. And as he gets closer to... Uh, the next ladder where he needs to climb up, if he tries to jump, he bumps his head. The barrel hits him, the game is over. You start again. Now, it becomes more complex. The barrels become faster the more of them Mario jumps over in a single run. If Mario does not reach Donkey Kong, who's right on top, very quickly the barrels will move too fast for Mario to jump over. So when Mario reaches the ladder, you, the player, must press up to climb the second girder and move back to the left. And when Mario climbs the next ladder, he will appear on the top screen. Now once there, the player can press left to activate the crane. Then the player can move to the right, dodging more barrels, receiving two points for doing so on the second girder. After Mario activates the crane, its hook will swing left and right twice and then stop. If Mario does not reach the hook in time, he will need to reactivate the crane for another chance. Now when the crane hook swings all the way to the left, Mario can jump to grab it and cut one of the wires holding Donkey Kong's girder, earning from between 5 to 20 points depending on how fast he did the job. Mario will then return to the beginning of the level. When he cuts all four wires, he defeats Donkey Kong, awarding Mario 20 points. If a barrel hits Mario, if he jumps and hits a moving iron girder, or if he jumps and misses the crane hook, he gets a miss and returns to the starting point. Whew! The game ends when he loses all his life. All his lives. Now, Donkey Kong never required expert strategies in order to get a decent score. The most important thing about Donkey Kong was timing. Timing is the utmost important for surviving. One careless action and immediately Mario is dead. And the game also had a certain element of unpredictability since, you know, these barrels, they often roll down ladders in a random way. Sometimes it would roll from one steel 
um, uh, section to another. Uh, but sometimes it would come down the ladder. So if you wanted to go up the ladder, perhaps the barrel would come down. Are you following? Does this make sense? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. When I was a kid, I, I became ill for, for quite a long period of time. I think it was really a couple of weeks. And my mum did the best thing a mum can possibly do. You know what she did? She bought me a Donkey Kong game. I couldn't believe it because actually I had strict parents. They weren't for buying us games and what have you, but I really wanted this game. It was a small handheld device, perhaps the, the size of, I don't know, two, two iPhones put together, something like that. And it had a crummy gray and dark gray sort of a screen and the graphics weren't good. And the game, what I just explained to you, that was it. That was the game. It just became faster and faster, but we all enjoyed it. We loved that game, and we stuck with it. And what it did is, the better we got at it, the more confidence we had. And the confidence, of course, this, this comes from, it's less got to do with our self-confidence, with what we're actually capable of. It's got more to do with what we think we can do, with the skills we possess. Sometimes we, we have self-doubt, even for tasks that we are more capable of completing. You know, you might doubt your ability to, you know, uh, reach a certain time or do a certain training session. Uh, even though you might have the ability in your body to do so, your doubts might even mean you, you avoid training a certain section, uh, fartlek or hill training. And similarly, you might even avoid taking part in races because you think... Uh, I'm just not fast enough, or others are a lot faster, or my training hasn't been solid. But the opposite is also true. If your belief in your own ability is higher, then you're more likely to try harder, persist for longer, than, than anybody else who's skilled with it with a lower self-belief. So in this way, our belief creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. We try harder because we first believe we can accomplish a task and we ultimately achieve it because of our increased effort and persistence, not just our abilities. The ability sometimes comes later. And so our beliefs are fundamentally important to how we act, how a higher self-confidence without the change in ability or skill level shows it can improve your athletic pursuits and help you become a better runner. And again, this doesn't mean that you can fake it. Nobody can fake something when you're running. You know, we're not talking about make-belief and uh, you know, just, just think really hard enough. No, instead to, to build self-confidence, that type that is unshakable, you, you need a solid foundation. And, and one of the, the biggest things is, same like in Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong recorded each single game, the score that you got, and you knew where you were. And if you closed it or if the batteries ran out and the shops were already closed and you had to wait till tomorrow, 8 o'clock or 1 o'clock when you came home from school to buy new batteries, you would knew that there'd be a meticulous record of, your, uh, of, of the amount of points you had scored. So the same thing for your running, Meticulously record your preparations and your milestones. Don't just say, I'm using Strava and I'm happy with it. Or I have a great GPS watch. I can look at any. Note it down. Use a normal pen and paper to start noting it down. Because then you're really going to delve into it. And what's going to happen is as you start to think about it, what are you doing? You're imagining. So mental imagery. 
And mental imagery serves many different purposes. And most of them have got to do with improvement of self-confidence. That's why athletes use the imagination to rehearse specific skills and routines. Did you understand how I explained that now? I didn't say, oh, you just got to like sit down and oh, and stuff. No, I didn't say that. That's junk. That's rubbish. That's low level motivation, which is going to make you fail because there's no basis behind it. Again, mental imagery, it serves different purposes. And most of all, it improves your self-confidence. So during this, you are rehearsing specific skills and routine. You're not going om oh, and beads and, and you're wearing flip-flops. and you, you No, you're rehearsing specific skills and routine. Perhaps you're visualizing yourself in the second half of a race, running fast and relaxed. Or perhaps you're imagining yourself last week's podcast, how you're crossing, how you're powering through that finish line. Or perhaps you're imagining yourself how you're holding that pace and it's a long run and it's hot and the road is crowded, a lot of runners, but you are holding your pace. And performing these actions successfully, even in your mind's eye, they have an immensely positive impact on your self-belief and which will lead to a much better, much more positive self-talk. And believing in one's own ability, of course, it's got to do with confidence. And the best example is, you know, watching these alpine skiers or these snowboarders. When they're at the Olympics, and, and you see these athletes, and they're going through like animated visualizations of their run, you know, just moments before they hit the slope. Why? <laughs> because it helps them. It makes them better, you know. Um, if, if, if one can believe that you can accomplish a goal, visualization is going to help you accomplish it to take those particular steps that you need towards getting there and, and you're using all the senses in real time that's the that's the key to successful visualizations by by seeing that a goal is actually doable even even in your mind's eye you as a runner are going to understand better your ability to accomplish that goal and whether it's in reach as well so the so the the problem-solving skills, for example, you know, looking back over 35 years of running, that's me now, myself, be it a 5K run to ultramarathons, to numerous days of continuous running very far distances, <laughs> I can think of many times when in the midst of a race or a run or an event, I had something that really threw me off. I'm not talking about DNFs, I'm talking about races that I then actually went on to complete with major issues you know there was broken water bottles or failure to ensure i had insoles that's a great story by the way you always check whether you have the insoles you know there were um one time my my shorts uh, I, I like wearing these very fluffy shorts when i run and they, they got this little string inside it but if you pull too much on the one side the the string actually you can't get the end of the of the of that little rope around your waist so all you have is one end and i thought i could continue to run but i couldn't because my shorts would due to the sweat they were more wet they'd, they, they'd start dropping down so i'd uh, anyway i upset tummy due to expired energy bar always check the date before you take so long something to eat <laughs> blisters not so often but i've had a watch fail on me i've sometimes had ad lamp batteries fail on me and over the years this all has served me to all these issues have basically been there 
so that I start thinking about problem solving, so that I don't get thrown off track if a problem occurs. I have the confidence that somehow I'm going to be able to solve this on a run. And on each occasion, I found a way to somehow get through it, to solve it. And that's taught me a lot about running and about myself. <laughs> it's built my self-confidence. So how about you're going to teach yourself to succeed? I know, in today's youth, it's going to be more difficult. You know, I see kids, they, they play these really awesome games. I'm not talking about violent games. I'm really talking about great games that have great graphics, great effects. You know, it's a far cry from Donkey Kong. But there are options, unfortunately, special tools that you can buy. You can buy them for your kids or their hacks. And their YouTube videos that are going to teach you how to reach the next level means the next generation that's growing up, I cannot feel like it's missing out. It's missing out on the fact that you have to try, you're going to fail, you have to try again, you're going to fail, and you have to try again, you're going to fail. And that's how you learn, that's how you make progress. And then one time suddenly you're not going to fail, you've made it to the next level, but the next level is just, it's another challenge for the next one. But today, it's possible to go for a hack, or you can even buy a special shield to get through the next level, or you can go into no crash mode. So this whole urge, this whole desire, which is part of our DNA, this, this desire to build resilience, it's left right out of the equation, isn't it? And unfortunately, this is going to limit people in coming back from a setback. Now, which... In a situation of, of, of running, you know, sometimes you become so distracted and occasionally you become overwhelmed by these problems. But if you've got the right mindset, you're going to manage to, to see these adversities and, and use opportunities that are there. They, they're going to arise just because of the state of mind you're used to. And uh, wh what am I basing this on? Very simple. I've watched many races, I've been part of many run events where there were elite runners who had a DNF. And, and it might have been something to a stomach ailment or, or something like that. But I've also seen, you know, uh, really the, the, the guys who are running extremely slow pace, they already struggle from the word go, non-elite runners, everyday runners. And I've seen them come through hardships, along with, with broken shoes, you know, uh, with extremely bad weather, really difficult conditions, and they pulled on through. So it's got nothing to do with your skill level. It's got to do with your attitude, how you learned. And a lot of it is trial and error, like in Donkey Kong. And it's the only true way we can learn. You know, when we make a mistake, we fail at something. We can reflect what happened, make changes, and try again. Repeating this process so many times throughout your running career, throughout your life, you're going to learn all types of problems and how to get around them. And uh, uh, there are so many different theories on this. Uh, Thorndike, you know, he said, learning takes place by trial and error, and some people call it learning by selection of the successful variant. <laughs> That's when there's no, there's no ready-made solution of, of a problem available to the learner. He's, he adopts the method of trial and error. He tries, and then he sees it doesn't work, he rejects it, and he tries another one. That's what we used to do in Donkey Kong. We didn't need some other psychologist explaining this, uh, this to us. And all these activities, though they're apparently random, 
they are suggested by a situation that 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 occurs as the learner is proceeding through this process you know the, the, so the, the 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 stages through which a learner has to pass are the the goal he wants to achieve the block the hindrance which is there donkey kong you need to get up that ladder the random movements the barrel falls down or it goes on further you've got to jump over it and then the multiple responses you know the success rate the selection and the fixation <laughs> that's why the first thing we need to do is erase the negative self-talk don't go for perfection when you were playing donkey kong or something similar you just settled for a plan of action didn't you <laughs> and you knew i'm just going to try this first this first section, I'm just going to try and cross those two barrels. Okay, now I'm going to go up the ladder. Careful, the third barrel which comes down, it's going to go down the ladder. I've got to do it before that or after that. <laughs> and the thing is, no one could do this for you. No one could do or play Donkey Kong for you. I mean, wasn't it the worst if one of your friends came along and he took your, your Ruby Cube and he mixed it up and it took you nearly an hour to assemble it because you used the hammer? And your friend, he mixed it up, and now it's impossible for you to solve, and then he just does it with one hand, frustrating, and he puts it back on the shelves, and you feel like, really, oh, I feel so stupid. Or if a friend of yours took your Donkey Kong and set a high score, and you knew it wasn't your high score, and how to reach it, I mean, oh. Now, that's exactly, that's where the drive come from. That's where the hair are split, right at that moment in time. Not many people like to step out of the comfort zone. Because they are scared of the outcome. Sometimes taking a risk is going to lead to a result that you weren't expecting. And other times the anticipation is the worst of it. You know, risk taking isn't for everyone. Some individuals, they can't afford to take a risk in certain situations. Many runners are not going to take a risk. <laughs> so again, don't let the negatives outweigh the positives when searching for a way to fix a problem. Stick with it, Donkey Kong style. Undoubtedly, the trial and error method, it has its faults, but it doesn't mean you can't find a way around them at times. I managed to crack Donkey Kong. I must have spent hours on that thing. <laughs> and so can you. You know, it's important to remember that not all situations have one chance to be fixed. There are many. There are many. The more will arise if you stick with it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you enjoyed Donkey Kong. I hope you enjoy going for your run and trying and trying again and building that persistence, building that self-confidence. My name is Heiko. Thanks for listening. God bless you. And remember, take it easy.